And I realized that getting practical, actual real life information that you need to work your health to the best of your ability is really hard to find. And that it, you shouldn't have to have an advanced medical degree to be able to get the information you need. And so I kind of just decided that I was going to fix the medical internet. Welcome to She Speaks How She Does It. I'm your host, Aliza Freud. And each week on the show, we shine a spotlight on the story of an inspiring woman as she openly shares her journey with us, her successes and failures, and what she's learned along the way. My hope is that you can take away something from each of these conversations to help you in your own life. I'm so grateful that you're here. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the show today, everyone. I hope your week is going well, and I am really, really excited for this episode. I think we have a great show today. Um, We are talking today with uh, Dr. Jen Gunter. If you don't know Dr. Jen Gunter, she is the best-selling author of uh, The Menopause Manifesto, which just came out in uh, late May, and then before that, also the best-selling author of The Vagina Bible. And what is so interesting to me about what Dr. Gunther is trying to do is really help raise awareness about women's health. And, you know, there's been this culture of silence around menopause, but it was surprising to me that there are things that you should be thinking as a woman, there are things you should be thinking about in your 30s and or late 20s and, and, and into your 30s as they relate to menopause to keep you healthy so that when you get to that stage in your life, um, your symptoms are maybe aren't as strong as, as they might be. One of the things that I learned was that having um, a some sort of weight and strength strength training is critical because your body, you want to reserve muscle mass as early as possible in your life because as you get towards menopause, you tend to lose that muscle mass. So I really found this conversation with Dr. Gunter. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had an excellent conversation with Stacey London, who you may remember is from TLC's What Not to Wear, but also she has, um, she's now the CEO of a company called State Of, and it's State of Menopause. It's also um, creating menopause products for women. And between those conversations, I really felt like it was important to have us on this show talk about this topic um, because there has been a culture of silence around it and really help uh, raise awareness and, and have um, you know a message of health empowerment. Um, really women kind of owning their health and getting knowledge with facts because one of the things that um, I learned in my conversation with Dr. Uh, Gunter is that there is just so much misinformation out there. And so we want to arm people with facts. We want them to have some sources that they feel like they're getting reliable information about um, about what's going on with their bodies, and we can start a dialogue about this. So we're hoping that with these conversations, with this conversation today with Dr. Gunter, if you go back and listen to the episode with Stacey London as well, but what we really want to do is um, – 
start a conversation about this and and urge women to think about um, their health in this way and get the facts um, to equip themselves so that um, they have knowledge and they're empowered through that knowledge. So I am looking forward to having you hear from the expert herself, Dr. Jen Gunter, who is, as I mentioned, um, a best-selling author, but also an OBGYN. And so she comes to the table with an enormous amount of practical experience treating women. So um, with that, I am going to let us jump into the conversation. So here we go. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Gunter. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have with me today, Dr. Jen Gunter. She is the best-selling author of the Vagina Bible, which has been translated into 19 languages. And um, she is known as the world's most famous and outspoken gynecologist. I cannot wait to talk to you more about your new book, which came out May 25th and is already a bestseller. And that is called the Meta the Menopause Manifesto. And take us back. How you are a physician, um, you're an advocate for women's health. What made you take the step to becoming an author and really helping to educate women about their bodies and health? Right. So you know, like many physicians, you know, I had seen patients come in with really, you know, inaccurate information that they'd gleaned online, Mm -hmm. and hadn't really sort of connected, you know, how that actually happened. You know, I think that when you're someone who believes in good quality science, you think that everybody would put good quality science out there, why would people do otherwise? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, 17 years ago, I had uh, my kids and I had a very, very complicated pregnancy. I had triplets and one of my sons died and the other two were in the intensive care unit for, you know, three months. And one of my sons had also a serious heart defect on top of everything else and needed heart surgery. It was just, you know, years and years of slogging through you know, medical stuff. So, you know, so I, like everybody else, you know, when I couldn't get answers to things from my physicians, or maybe when there even weren't answers, uh, I turned to the internet. And I just thought, how do people do this without a medical degree? This is ridiculous. There's Mm -hmm. anti-vaccine stuff. There's, you know, there's, you know, lies about this. There's, I was all confused about what's the best formula. Nobody could give me the help I needed. And I realized that getting practical, actual real life information that you need to work your health to the best of your ability is really hard to find. And that you shouldn't have to have an advanced medical degree to be able to get the information you need. And so I kind of just decided that I was going to fix the medical internet. (laughs) Your first book was a bestseller. um, And um, that the the vagina Bible, can you talk a little bit about what's in that book? What can women get? What kind of information can women get from, from the book? And then we'll kind of lead into the new book that you just wrote, which is, as we said, already a New York times bestseller. Yeah, well, so the Vagina Bible sort of came out of, you know, seeing I, you know, that I I run a clinic for vulvar and vaginal disorders. I've been doing that for a very long time, over 20 years. And, you know, you see like the same questions over and over and over again. And I think, how is this happening? How are we having such a difficult time? 
getting information from A to B. And sort of with the rise of Instagram, really, to me, it felt like this sort of influence our culture was actually having a really dramatic effect on people. You know, everybody should have access to the internet. But the problem is, is that a lot of this stuff is awful. And, you know, a Google search can often just send you in the wrong direction, because a lot of these predatory people, doctors and companies are really good at search engine optimization. Yeah. So, so in terms then of your new, the new book, right? The, the book that just came out that has already hit the New York times bestseller list. It is a, you're, you're talking to be to women really. Um, and you're talking with all of us real about the culture of silence that exists as it relates to menopause, can you talk a little bit about why you think that exists and what we can do to change it and what you're what you're doing to change it? Yeah, so the culture of silence for menopause, is, especially in our culture, is incredibly uh, pervasive. And I think that it exists because there's, you know, first of all, we have a lot of ageism in our society. Mm-hmm. But secondly, you know, those things that you mentioned that that seem to be okay to talk about now or sort of are starting to be okay to talk about, you know, infertility, periods, pregnancy, those are sort of in servitude to the patriarchy right? Mm. Those are in servitude of reproduction. Mm. And, you know, everything about, you know, our, you know, the only things that sort of are acceptable for us are sort of things that sort of fit around this sort of purity culture, serving the patriarchy narrative. Mm. And the patriarchy doesn't view menopause as useful. You know, the patriarchy Mm. has this misconception that all men are virile until the age of 99. So, So basically, the patriarchy says men are hot and virile forever and women age out. And, you know, who wants to talk about aging out? Who wants to talk about an expiration date? When I gave my TED talk on periods, I, you know, I, I've ob- obviously the shame of periods has nothing to do with blood. It's just to do with the fact that women are toxic, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, but it's all, it's always gaslighting. There's always changing of the metric because, you know, when we get rid of our periods, we don't elevate to a higher social status. We don't, you know, we don't become all of a sudden on par with the patriarchal standards. We in fact get lower. So the bar just keeps changing. I just wanted to start talking about it. And I wanted people to have the factual medical information. I wanted people to have the cultural history of menopause, you know, in the West, like how it's been framed and, you know, how your, your thinking may have been affected and how the fact that we don't teach the biology of menopause could have repercussions for everybody. And actually, let me stop and ask you, what is the age of, because it's a wide range, what is the age for menopause for women? Yeah, I'm saying the average age is 51. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're younger than 45, that's considered on the early age and younger than 40 is primary ovarian insufficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, And the younger you have menopause, the greater your risk basically of early death. And so, you know, everything that you can do to sort of keep your menopause around the age 51 ish is, you know, is what you want to do. What do women in their 30s and early 40s need to be thinking about and doing and maybe planning for as it relates? to menopause. 
Yeah, I mean, so the healthiest way, the the best way to have the healthiest menopause is to be healthy. I mean, and that's like, oh, you don't want to hear that. You know, it's all the non-sexy stuff, like don't smoke, exercise and eat healthy, right? You know, I think that everybody in their 30s should be thinking about taking up some kind of weight training or strength training, working on that. Yeah, so because the more you can preserve your muscle mass early, the better your menopause is going to be. So some of the changes in your body shape, some of the changes in your health risks are actually related to your loss of muscle mass, you know, thinking about what kind of weight bearing exercise you're doing to protect your bones. If you're on a method of contraception, you know, thinking about what is that doing for me health wise, you know, is so is it something that is going to affect my symptoms of menopause or not? So you'll be prepared. And I think the other thing is to actually know what the symptoms of menopause are. So when it comes, you're not shocked. I feel like I hear symptoms that are that are probably very wide ranging, but I would love if an expert like you could share a little bit about what, what those symptoms, what, what those symptoms are and what women should look out for. Sure. So symptoms start during what's called the menopause transition, which is sometimes also called premenopause or perimenopause. But so menopause is like when you have your final period. So the menopause transition is the years leading up to it. And just kind of like, if you think back to puberty, you didn't actually really know when puberty started until you were in it right mm-hmm. like you're like oh now i've got a growth spurt okay so yeah. so you so that's the same thing with the menopause transition you're not going to know you're in it until you're in it okay mm-hmm. so that's something to think about so if you're in your 40s and the most uh, common sign in the menopause transition is irregular menstruation okay. so periods coming early coming late being heavier um skipped periods those kinds of things sort of menstrual Mm -hmm. shenanigans some people even get more menstrual cramps uh Mm -hmm. some people can get joint pain be more fatigued Mm -hmm. they might have sleeping issues uh Mm -hmm. hot flushes or hot flashes can develop night sweats um and even depression um so those are some of the very common symptoms that that people can have and um, for a lot of people, they're temporary, um, and some can be longer lasting. And it just kind of depends on a lot of factors. Uh, we also often only hear the bad stuff, right? And so often we hear about women who are really suffering with hot flushes, and some really do. But 25% of women like have none. So, you know, there's like a one in four chance you're going to basically kind of have this sort of seamless transition with very few side effects. Wow. Uh, brain fog. Brain fog is another one. Um, Mm -hmm. That's another common side effect that's temporary. But think about pregnancy, right? Like there are women who say they love being pregnant, that their body felt the best it felt in their entire life when they're pregnant. I'm like, what are you even talking about? Different. Everyone's different in terms of their body and how they react to things. So, So symptoms can vary significant. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, think about puberty, right? You start it maybe when, you know, the very first signs start years before maybe you even notice things, right? Mm-hmm. There might be a little bit, you're just going a little bit faster, right? So, you know, when you say five to eight years, that doesn't mean you're like in full blown, horrible symptoms the whole five to eight years. I mean, it's possible that a small percentage of people are right. But Mm -hmm. again, I really encourage people to think about that kind of puberty framing, because we're all used to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because you may have normal ovarian function for a few months. And then you may go through a phase where you don't ovulate for a couple months, or you may actually have two or three eggs that actually ovulate or get close to ovulating at once. And so your Mm -hmm. estrogen levels can actually be higher than normal in the menopause transition. And so people can have these wide swings in hormones. Mm -hmm. Once you get into menopause, or what we call postmenopause, things tend to really sort of stabilize out. PMS is related to changes in hormones for people. And again, we're used to that concept, right? Like there's some people, some women who are very, very affected by PMS, 
Mm-hmm. I've never had a PMS symptom in my life. I've known it would like, you know, obviously I see people with it and I treat it, mm-hmm. but I have no personal framing to sort of say, oh yeah, when people say, well, don't like, aren't you irritable before your period? I have no idea what they're talking about because no, that's mm-hmm. never been my issue. So mm-hmm. we all, you know, we all know about the theory of evolution. We all know about Darwin. Um, but, you know, in the 1980s, um, this researcher, Dr. Kristen Hawks and her team uh, really looked at, you know, why do we have menopause? You know, and they did they did a lot of anthropological research uh, with um, with, uh, you know, a tribe called the Hazda in Tanzania that um, had resisted sort of, you know, modern society. And so they were really able to see how people lived. And it turns out that grandmothers were super useful to the family unit, like super useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, while while the, the man in the family unit was off hunting or doing whatever manly things he did, the grandmother was actually gathering all the food. She was providing the food for the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during times when there was, you know, breastfeeding or pregnancy and the mom was unable to do anything, grandmother foraging went up incredibly high. They were spending 37 hours a week looking for food. So, which is, which is a lot of physical effort. And so there's now a lot of research that tell, that supports the grandmother hypothesis. So again, because we've been looking at menopause through a lens of ovarian failure, like, ooh, men continue to make sperm no matter the quality goes down, but right. there's a hard, there's a hard stop for the ovaries. So the assumption is that ovaries fail. But actually, if you compare us to chimps, which are our closest living ancestors, their ovaries stop around the same time too. They're very similar. They their ovulation slows down, but chimps die. We keep on living. Mm-hmm. So the the question is not why do ovaries fail. The question is why did women start to live beyond their ovarian function? How did women get strong enough? And the answer is, of course grandmothers you get back to this whole patriarchal thing so we've all been sold this lie that men are hunter gatherers and they provide all the food and it's true that you know through history men have been hunter gatherers but Mm -hmm. but that hasn't been providing the food for the family unit big game hunting provides about three percent of the calories for a family unit and there's data from the 1700s in both finland and canada that shows that when um, there was a grandmother in the house when there's a grandmother close by there were more grandchildren and killer whales which are the only other species i mean toothed whales but killer whales are the most common toothed whales that we know about are the only other mammal to have menopause and the wow. yeah so there's just so it's not like a fluke, obviously. It's mm-hmm. I mean, evolution doesn't have like flukes. Evolution has things that 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 help. Oh, and wow. interesting fact with killer whales, the males die around the age of fifty. But you know, when we don't teach the grandmother hypothesis, basically we're erasing all of our ancestral grandmothers that got us here. Can you talk a little bit about what what are the key t- what are some of the key things that women can expect to get? from the book, from the new book. And, you know, what, what is important um, in terms, if you had to say like, these are the sort of re- really important principles that you'll get as, as, as insights in the book, what would those be? Well, I think that, you know, the most important thing is you're gonna learn all about the biology of menopause. So you actually understand what's happening to your body and why, which I think mm-hmm. in itself is very empowering. Mm -hmm. you're going to learn in depth about menopausal hormone therapy and not that everybody necessarily should be on it at all. 
but almost everything that you read on Instagram about it from influencers is, you know, is untrue. And there's, you know, um, you'll learn all about the dangers of compounded hormones and how those are less safe and not recommended by the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine. And so you'll actually also learn about supplements and how most of them are unstudied or not helpful. Uh, and so you'll you'll learn how to navigate all of all of the care related to menopause. And I think I hope the other takeaway is that you'll learn that menopause isn't just about symptoms, that there are significant health conditions that can be triggered by menopause. And so, you know, this is sort of before, before menopause, you know, men have a higher rate of, you know, cardiac disease and a few other things. And, and after menopause, you know, that changes and women kind of catch up. And you'll also learn about how to protect your bones. You'll learn how to keep yourself in the best of health, hopefully, um, for a very long time. You have been called um, Twitter's resident OBGYN. Um, why do you think that you, why do you think you're able to connect with people so easily on these important health topics? Because you've also mentioned a few times that there is so much misinformation on social media. Um, I think because people get that I'm really trying to give just information. And they get that I really despise snake oil people. I yeah. hate when people take advantage of people because, you know, you're vulnerable and it's wrong and it's awful. It's even worse when it's a doctor doing it. And it feels to me like it's getting harder and harder, not easier and easier. Yeah. And so I think, I think people really get that that's kind of the mission is empowerment through fact. Take us back a little bit. As a child, you know, what kind of what, what kind of child were you? Were you um, somebody who always knew you wanted to be a doctor? Just can you can you take us back a little bit? Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I think I was inquisitive and studious um, and a bookworm, uh, but I I had um, you know a lot of interaction with the healthcare system when I was in grade five and grade. Yeah, grade five, I ruptured my spleen when I was skateboarding. I wasn't very good. I fell on a flat surface. And um, anyway, that led to, uh, you know, a, an emergency angiogram. This is because this is, you know, before they had CT scans or MRIs or anything, right? This is like old school mm -hmm. medicine. And uh, I was really fascinated by everything. I just thought it was really cool. And I was very precocious, which I'm sure doesn't shock people, but I was really tall already at, in grade five. So I think that people thought I was older than I was. Mm -hmm. And they spoke to me like I was an adult, which wouldn't have been good maybe for every kid. But for me, it was perfect. It was the yeah. right way to talk to me. And so I just got really interested and I had to go back and have multiple tests and all this kind of stuff. And so I was in the hospital a lot and, you know, I would ask, uh, you know, why they were taking the stitches out that way or why they were doing this that way or, um, and so I think that's kind of how I got interested in it. What do you consider to be your overall mission? Um, I really think it's empowerment through facts, you know, so people can have factual information. I mean, look, I mean, Here's a great example. Acupuncture doesn't work for hot flashes. It's been studied. But if you you know that data and you still want to do it, well, then it's your body and it's your choice. But don't you think you should know that data before you put your money down? You know, some wow. people feel better, right? So some people feel better when they go to an acupuncturist for hot flashes because they've spent they spent money on themselves. They've gone to do something for themselves. And someone mm -hmm. has sat and asked them about their symptoms. But right. it's not the acupuncture needle that's helping you. Right. So, you know, so, so don't you think you should know that information, right? Yeah. Or 
black cohosh. It doesn't help hot flushes. In fact, 25% of black cohosh in the United States doesn't even contain black cohosh. It's contaminated with plants from other countries. Um, and it's oh. the leading cause of, you know, it's a it's associated with liver failure. So if you know that and you still want to take it, you know, it's your body and your choice. But wouldn't you be really angry if you ended up taking black cohosh, ended up getting liver failure, and you hadn't known that in advance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, though. It's because I mean, as a doctor, you ha- you have much more access to medical facts for your own health care. And so I think everybody should have more of that. I think that um, we do a really bad job in school of teaching basic biology. Mm-hmm. And I think if everybody learned more about their bodies and learned mm-hmm. more factual things, like, for example, if everybody knew more about DNA and genetics, no, we wouldn't have had this stupid rumor about, you know, the MRI vaccine shedding and causing infertility, like, like that was so medically ludicrous, right? Mm -hmm. So to every, everybody in medicine, you're like, how could people believe this? But of course they believe it because people they trusted were telling them and they didn't have the medical knowledge to know that that couldn't happen. So, you know, so we shouldn't be surprised when People are, you know, take up anti-mask propaganda or take up anti-vaccine propaganda. They haven't had the information Mm -hmm. to sort of be able to the first time they hear that to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. If some so if someone wants to kind of continue to understand and follow all of these things, are these things that you cover ongoing in Twitter? Um, yeah, I mean, Twitter's obviously snippets. Um, I have a blog on Substack. It's called The Vagenda. So for example, I took a really deep dive into all the menstrual stuff there with vaccines. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I have certainly heard that just with the, with the COVID vaccine, that a lot of women, that there, there's, a, there's a lot of conversation that women are having issues with uh, menstruating since they've had the COVID vaccine. I'm sure you've probably heard some of this on social media. Mm-hmm. But oh, the bottom right. line is, if everybody knew that the lining of their uterus was part of their immune system, then they wouldn't be surprised if they had bleeding. But it is. So mm-hmm. just like you get a fever, after a vaccine, or you might get swollen lymph nodes, you could get some menstrual irregularity because the lining of your uterus is an active part of your immune system because your uterus is connected with the outside world, right? That's how sperm can get up there for pregnancy. So it needs to be a very active part of the immune system because viruses and bacteria can get in that way. That took me like, what, a minute and a half to explain. We still don't know if it's a true cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. That's still hasn't been studied, but mm-hmm. it's certainly biologically plausible that it could be based on the mm-hmm. fact that the uterus is part of the immune system. You know, you're not going to have permanent changes because your immune system is designed to deal with this kind of stuff. So if people want to follow you and what, and, and kind of continue to hear these awesome insights because you focus so much on what is real and the medical facts, what is the best way for people to do that? Well, um, so you can certainly uh, find me on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter and Instagram at Dr. Jen Gunter. And uh, you can find me on my blog at thevagenda.com. But if you go to drjengunter.com, you can also find me there. You can find my books wherever books are sold. All right, last question. What is next for you? What do you hope to accomplish or address next? 
Well, um, I have my my podcast, Body Stuff with Dr. Jen Gunter, and everybody listening, I would love if you could download it and subscribe, because if you want to learn more about different body parts, that's what it's all about. In fact, uh, the episode coming out in a couple of days is on the immune system. So yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping to just kind of continue sort of the educational efforts, and um, I have another book to write, so we'll see where that goes. <laughs> Thank you so much for all that you are doing. And thank you for spending the time with us today. We are privileged to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to She Speaks How She Does It. We hope that this episode inspired you in your own experience and path towards success. Be sure to like and subscribe to follow our series of conversations. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode, so join the conversation at She Speaks Up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also join She Speaks at shespeaks.com. Thanks for listening and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at Until next time.